the book of Revelation, chapter 21. If you would read along in your Bible as I read it aloud. This is the word of the Lord, so please give it your full attention. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of the life of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers, and whoremongers and sorcerers, and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even as a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof, and the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones, first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoporus, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, every several gate was of one pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, 
For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thus far the reading of God's word. As you know, we've been studying chapter 21 for some weeks, and we will, the Lord willing, continue to do that. I wanted to remind you that chapter 21, uh, I believe, is a transition from chapter 20. Uh, In chapter 20, John described the last day of this present earth, the final judgment. Uh, In chapter 21, John begins to describe what's going to happen just after the final judgment. The new heaven, the new earth, particular attention to the new earth because that's our permanent home. So there's more concentration on the new earth than there is on the characteristics of the new heaven. As you know, the book of Revelation expands upon many Old Testament passages, and we've talked about that for a long time. Uh, In fact, you really can't understand the book of Revelation without at least some familiarity with the Old Testament. Uh, And actually, that's why it's such a mystery to many people today, uh, because many churches virtually ignore the Old Testament. Uh, And I'm speaking to the people on the recording now, but if you're part of a church that pays uh, little attention to the Old Testament, maybe regarding it as just a history book, Uh, with some moral lessons here and there. Or if your pastor ever uses the phrase New Testament Christian to describe himself or the congregation, uh, I'd urge you to find another church. Because if you don't know the Old Testament, you won't receive the blessings that God intends for you from either the Old Testament or the New Testament. Uh, The more you understand the Old Testament, the more you will understand the New, the more you'll know Christ. The uh, book of Revelation promises a blessing uh, to to those who hear it, study it, and uh, it's uh, you can't have that blessing without knowing what it says, and you can't know what it says without going back and realizing that a lot of the language is a fulfillment of Old Testament language. We have an example of that in the very first verse of of chapter 21. Uh, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there is no more sea. Now, I'll explain what I mean by the reference to the Old Testament there in a minute. I did say that I believe this chapter 21 is a, is a, a, a chronological continuation of chapter 20. Chapter 20, we have the final judgment. Chapter 21, the new earth, heaven, new earth. Uh, now, I will... And I should say that some great Reformed commentators, such as James Glasgow, uh, Thomas Brightman, um, Henry Moore, reject that idea that chapter 21 follows Judgment Day. They believe chapter 21 describes the earth made new by the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, In other words, our time now. And they believe we can really know nothing of the future of the world or the church after the final judgment of chapter 20. No doubt 
Now, the earth is, in a sense, made new by the gospel. Uh, for example, Isaiah 65, 17 appears to refer, be referring to this. So let's go back to, the, as I said, the Old Testament and look at Isaiah six, uh, 60, chapter 65. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. At first glance, this you say, well, that's talking about the new heavens and new earth after the final judgment in, in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, but the passage goes on to say, if you jump down to verse 20, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed, and they shall build houses, uh, etc. Since there's no death, it talks about death here, nor are there sinners in the new earth that follows the final judgment, the passage must be talking about some other time probably the millennium that will occur in this present earth before the Lord returns. This would be my supposition. Uh, another reference, if you go to, to the next chapter, Isaiah 66, to the new heavens and new earth, verse 22, For as the new heaven and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Now that may or may not refer to the millennium, it may refer to the time after the final judgment. So it's, it's, it's murky in some ways, and that's why some great commentators say that Revelation chapter 21 is talking about the gospel age. However, if you would turn then to Second Peter chapter 3. The idea that the last two chapters of the book of Revelation are not about events following the final judgment is difficult to reconcile with this passage in 2 Peter. So if you open your Bible and look at that, please, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now, present earth, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Conversation mean behavior. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That is difficult to reconcile with the idea that the new heavens and a new earth, uh, 
that's not chapter 20, that's, that isn't chapter 21. Um, and also this, this passage in verse 4 in chapter 21, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Very difficult to say, well, that's the gospel age today, right? I mean, we have death, we have pain, we have sorrow. Uh, James Durham, in his commentary on Revelation, does an excellent job of refuting the idea that chapter 21 is not a continuation. Uh, chapter 21 is not a continuation, and most commentators, most Reformed commentators, agree. And we have the advantage, and I'm gonna, not going to dwell on this uh, dispute among commentators, but we have an advantage that older commentators, such as Brightman, who lived in the 1500s. Um, uh, Moore, who lived in the 1600s, Glasgow, who lived in the 1800s, they don't have the advantage that we have the history of the world since their time. Uh, Glasgow wrote, for example, that one of the grounds for his belief that uh, 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 in, in, not in one of the grounds for his belief that uh, it, uh, 21 is not a continuation of 20 is that, quote, heathenism disappeared from Europe and is declining over Asia and all the rest of the world. He wrote that in the 1800s. Uh, we couldn't say that today, could we? Unfortunately, sadly. Um, so what are we to understand about the new heaven and the new earth? Is it all a mystery? Romans 8.21 gives us a hint. Romans 8.21 says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And in Acts 3, beginning in verse 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution or New King James calls it restoration of all things. He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of, of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Very interesting word, restitution there in, in uh, Acts 3, uh, 21. Until the times of restitution or times of restoration of all things. The word restitution comes from the Latin word restitere, which means to rebuild. And uh, one dictionary says it's the act of restoring to the rightful owner something that has been taken away, lost, or surrendered. Now think, think biblically here. Okay. The world, the new earth will be the, uh, the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began, by the way. It's testifying that this has been spoken of since the world began, that this, this will be a time in the future, uh, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So restitution, the act of restoring and thinking biblically to the rightful owner something that's been taken away, lost, or surrendered. The act, second uh, definition, the act of making good or compensating for loss, damage, or injury. A re and thirdly, a return to or restoration of a previous state or position. Uh, as a technical metal, medical term, it means a complete restoration to health. So think about the new earth being a restoration to the rightful owners, 
Okay, the rightful owner is Christ, right? Lord and the Lord, Jesus Christ, the, tri- the triune God, is the rightful owner of earth. Uh, and uh, sin has, has corrupted this earth and corrupted mankind. And there'll be a restoration of that in the new earth. It'll be a perfected earth and perfected uh, uh, people, God's people. The Geneva Bible comments on this, quote, All things shall be renewed and restored into a most excellent and perfect estate, and therefore the day of the resurrection is called the day of restoration of all things in Acts 3.21. That was the beginning of the restoration. The day of resurrection was the beginning of the restoration of all things as the world comes increasingly under the influence of the gospel. Uh, Albert Barnes and uh, Francis Nigel Lee uh, and others believe the new earth will not be a brand new earth. This earth won't be completely obliterated and there'll be a new earth completely created. Um, But they say it'll be the same earth as now but renewed and perfected. Melted with fervent heat, the elements melt, etc., which are the uh, foundations, but uh, renewed and perfected. And they make the example just as our resurrection bodies will not be completely brand new bodies, totally different from the ones we have no now, but renewed and perfected. Uh, in fact, Westminster Confession in uh, chapter 32 says the dead shall be raised up with the self same bodies and none other, although with different qualities which shall be united again to their souls forever. So just as our bodies will not be brand new bodies, they will be restored, um, perfected, and then united again to, our, to their souls, to our souls, uh, their argument is the new earth will be this earth, but it will be perfected and uh, changed and restored. What about this no more sea? We were talking about this the other day in verse 1. And there was no more sea in the new earth. Now, I like seafood, so that's kind of a disappointment. (laughs) However, I am happy to say that there may be seafood in the new earth. And if there isn't, I'm sure I'll be very happy too. Um, A lot of people regard, a lot of great commentators regard the sea as symbolic of the unbelieving world. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 15, he was quoting Isaiah, quote, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, he may have just been referring to the, to the, to the sea, the, the literal sea. Uh, but it is interesting uh, he's talking about the Gentiles by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. In Psalm 68:22, the Lord's quote, the Lord said, I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea. Well, obviously, he wasn't talking about the ocean, you know, the literal water. He's talking about something else, the depths of the sea of, of sin and degradation. Uh, Psalm 65:5 speaks of, quote, them that are far off upon the sea, okay, now, the literal uh, in context is people, mariners and sailors and all that. But the literal Hebrew in Psalm 65.5 is, quote, the sea of remote ones, meaning the lost. If you read that in context, you'll understand that it's, it's talking about the lost. In Isaiah 5.30, the noise of the, 
uh, Babylonian army, you know, they're all unbelievers and heathens, is compared to the roaring of the sea. And in Jude 13, uh, Jude calls the wicked raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. Um, and a couple other references, Isaiah 11.9 and Habakkuk 2.14. I won't go into those, but you can look them up and on the handout is, uh, uh, are those references. So no more sea may mean no more wicked people in the new earth. No more the consequences of sin. Uh, wars, death, disease, and all the troubles of life. Uh, one commentator says, quote, The sea in scripture is the emblem of death, as salt water is not found associated with the work of the Holy Spirit, like the water of springs, dews, rains, etc. And uh, I'd, I'd add to the evil beast of Revelation 13, 1. Where does, where does that one beast come from? Remember, there's a beast rising out of the land. Where's the other beast come from, the evil one? Out of the sea. Uh... Now, this, this, here's an illusion. I'm not, I'll, I'll just throw this out to you because I'm not positive about it because it doesn't say it's sea. It talks about waters. But since we know from Revelation 17.1 that the whore of Babylon sits on many waters and that Revelation 17.15, the angel tells John, the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So she sits on She's evil, and she sits on or rules these evil people. She's the queen of, of the sinners, if you will. Uh, so it's possible that 21.2, there was no more sea, simply means in the new earth there will be no more reprobates, no more unbelievers, none of the consequences of sin. Uh, we know the new earth is for the redeemed only. Whether or not this verse is saying that, we can't be sure. Uh, and as I said, some commentators take it literally there will be no uh, oceans on the new earth. So study it, decide for yourself, and ask the Lord for, for guidance. Let's go on to verse 2. In Revelation 21, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. <clears throat> now heaven is often represented as a city where God and angels dwell. Uh, Hebrews 11, 6, 16, uh, quote, A better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And in Hebrews 13, 14, For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Uh, Galatians 4, 26, Paul refers to the earthly city in Israel called Jerusalem, the literal city. And then he says, Jerusalem which is above talks about Jerusalem being in heaven. There is a heavenly Jerusalem as well. Um, Paul is referring to the church there. So Revelation 3.12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. We already studied that when we studied chapter 3 and I will write upon him my new name. Now, it's called the Holy City in, in chapter 21 and uh, uh, New Jerusalem in chapter 3. It's called the Holy City, New Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was where the temple of God was, as we know, where God was worshipped. That was a central place in, in Old Testament times, regarded by the Jews as the Lord's city, 
most specially blessed place on earth and the earthly symbol of heaven. It was the earthly symbol of heaven. It was a, 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 in other words, it's synonymous with the church, a type of the church. I say, well, that was the Old Testament, that was Israelites. How can you say it's a church? Well, in Scripture, uh, it's the old, uh, the Israelites, uh, particularly in their wanderings, were called the church in the wilderness. So it's been a church ever since the Garden of Eden. Uh, the Lord's people have always been a church. So the holy city, New Jerusalem, is synonymous, is a type of the church. It is depicted as descending from heaven, as we read in verses 2 and 4, meaning that God will be with his people in the new earth uh, in a way that's never before been. Geneva Bible says the holy city, New Jerusalem, is, quote, the church is holy, new, the workmanship of God, heavenly, most glorious, the spouse of Christ and partaker of his glory. So it comes down from heaven. We have this idea that the end of the world, uh, this great city will come down, literally come down from heaven. Uh, come down from heaven ultimately means its origin is in heaven, right? Whether you believe literally coming down or this is a figurative language, it is, its origin is in heaven. It's coming down from heaven uh, and not from the earth. Now, to take it literally, we read the dimensions of it in cubits, okay? The cubits translate to about 370 miles, um, the, 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 the dimensions that, they, that John gave. So we, to take it literally, that a city 370 miles tall, uh, verse 16, 300, in, verse, in uh, 21, 370 miles wide, 370 miles long, made of solid gold and precious gemstones, will come down from the sky and plop down on earth, and then the rest of the earth will be uninhabited. That's... I submit to you that's a little ridiculous. Uh, the verse, I believe, simply means the new earth, symbolized by the holy city Jerusalem, will be glorious beyond imagination. I don't believe it's going to be a literal 370-mile-wide you know, structure that's going to come down. Uh, and the fact it's not literal, I think, is emphasized by the words in Revelation 21, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the bride is the church, of course, we know that. Christ's spouse. Um, and even in 21.9, it says the bride, the lamb's wife. Again, the church is represented by the heavenly city, Jerusalem. I believe it's the church that is meant, not a literal physical city. Believe what you wish on that. In a real sense, heaven will have come to earth after the final judgment, when the new heaven and the new earth uh, are here. Um, in Revelation 21:23, we read a few minutes ago, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And uh, in uh, chapter 22, it's a very similar language, and we'll be looking more at this as we get there. So that means the kingdom of heaven is going to cover the whole earth. Just as our Lord commanded Jesus to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, in the new earth, the redeemed, the meek, as Jesus calls us in Matthew 5, will finally and totally and literally inherit the earth. And it will be literal. 
Well, the scripture uses symbolism to describe what it'll be like with solid gold streets and foundations made of precious gemstones. These are symbols, but they're symbols of real material objects. Now, will there actually be solid gold streets? I doubt if they're solid gold streets, because gold is not perfect, and everything will be perfect in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, it, it may be perfect gold and perfect gemstones. I don't know. No one can say for sure that it won't be. Uh, but I think it's we, we need to look at symbolically saying it's just saying it's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be perfect. Most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Uh, it's so far beyond our comprehension that the closest comparison we have is the most costly things we know of, you know, gold and precious gemstones. Uh, remember, don't, don't think of the new earth, though. To, my point is don't think of it as all spiritual. You know, it's all ghostly and spiritual. Uh, ghostly souls floating around in the new, heaven, the new earth. It'll be solid. It'll be a material world with people, with material bodies, but they'll be perfected. Perfected material things and perfected flesh and bones. Uh, as, as I quoted uh, several times in the last few weeks, as Jesus said after his resurrection, but before his ascension, uh, Luke 24, Behold my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me now. So in his resurrected body, he was material. He wasn't some ghostly figure. Now he had, he was able to pass through solid objects, so we're not really sure exactly what his resurrected body is like. Uh, But we know, he said, look, I'm solid here. Okay, let's go on to verse 3 in in chapter 21. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. The tabernacle of God God is with men. Now, the tabernacle is used in the scriptures, as you well know, as describing the dwelling place of God with his people. It was the tent of meeting when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, for 40 years. Uh, When they settled in the promised land, the the tabernacle, God's home, became the temple in Jerusalem. No longer a tent. It was a big building. So what this verse says, in the new earth, the Lord will dwell with his people as he did in Old Testament times in the tabernacle, in the temple, but much more so. Much more so. That was a shadow. But in the new earth, it will be the true tabernacle, as Hebrews 8.2 says, the old tabernacle and temple was, quote, an example and shadow of heavenly things. Hebrews 8.5, we will see in its perfect fulfillment in the earth made new. So unlike the temporary tabernacle, which perished long ago, the tabernacle of God in the new earth will be permanent. God will never leave us or forsake us. Forever and ever. Verse 4, finally, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I've been preaching on, on this verse for some time now. I just love that verse. Uh, in fact, I quoted it at my father's funeral. 
The new earth will be without sin <coughs> or the results of sin. No more death, no more disease, no more wars, no more, quote, accidents or other tragedies. No more tornadoes we've seen recently. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain. I'm going to close with a quote from Albert Barnes' commentary. That was particularly moving. He says, and there shall be no more death. In all that future world of glory, not one, no one shall ever die, not a grave shall ever be dug. What a view do we begin to get of heaven when we are told there shall be no death there? How different from earth where death is so common, where it spares no one, where our best friends die, where the wise, the good, the useful, the lovely die, where fathers, mothers, wives, husbands, sons, daughters all die, where we habitually feel what we must die. Assuredly, we have here a view of heaven most glorious and animating to those who dwell in a world like this, and to whom nothing is more common than death. In all their endless and glorious career, the redeemed will never see death again. They will never themselves die. They will never follow a friend to the tomb, nor fear that an absent friend is dead. The slow funeral procession will never be witnessed there, nor will the soil ever open its bosom to furnish a grave. Neither sorrow word sorrow here denotes sorrow or grief of any kind, sorrow for the loss of property or friends, sorrow for disappointment, persecution, or care, sorrow over our sins, or sorrow that we love God so little and serve him so unfaithfully, sorrow that we are sick or that we must die. How innumerable are the sources of sorrow here, how constant it is on the earth. Since the fall of man, there has not been a day, an hour, a moment in which this has not been a sorrowful world. There has not been a nation, a tribe, a city, or a village, nay, not a family, where there has not been grief. There has been no individual who has always been perfectly happy. No one rises in the morning with any certainty that he may not end the day in grief. No one lies down at night with any assurance that it may not be a night of sorrow. How different would this world be if it were announced that henceforward there would be no more sorrow? How different, therefore, will heaven be when we shall have the assurance that henceforward grief shall be at an end? Nor crying. This Greek word properly denotes a cry, an outcry, as in giving a public notice, a cry in a tumult, a clamor, and then a cry of sorrow or wailing. This is evidently its meaning here, and it refers to all the outbursts of grief arising from affliction, from oppression, from violence. The sense is that as none of these causes of wailing will be known in the future state, all such wailing will cease. This, too, will make the future state vastly different from our condition here. For what a change would it produce on the earth if the cry of grief were never to be heard again? Neither shall be, there be any more pain. There will be no sickness no calamity, there will be no mental sorrow arising from remorse, from disappointment, or from the evil conduct of friends. And what a change would this produce, for how full of pain is the world now, 
How many lie on beds of languishing? How many are suffering under incurable diseases? How many are undergoing severe surgical operations? How many are pained by the loss of property or friends or subjected to acute anguish by the misconduct of those who are loved? How different would this world be if all pain were to cease forever? How different, therefore, must the future state of the blessed be from the present? One day, all of this shall come true. But today, although we do not have the realization, we do have God's promise of it. And we have even more than that, although his promise is all that is ever needed. We have the earnest, Ephesians 1, 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now, earnest means a down payment. When you buy property, you put down an earnest money deposit to show that you're sincere and binding you to fulfill that obligation. Well, an earnest is a deposit, a down payment, an assurance that what is you promised will come about, a sealed promise. And that earnest is the Holy Spirit in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The earnest of the Spirit. Now how is the promise of Revelation 21.4? There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be there any more pain shown by the Holy Spirit in us before our, before our life in the new earth. Where is that earnest? How do we know about that? Because we have a foretaste of it as believers. Please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians 4, uh, 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning with them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Don't sorrow about death the way others do who have no hope, the death of our friends, the death of our loved ones. Because that's ignorance. We sorrow, we cry, yes. We're in pain. Christians, it's not that Christians don't sorrow. We may be full of faith and given a strong faith, yet we sorrow over the death of of our loved ones or the pains of our loved ones. We sorrow, we cry, we're in pain, but not as unbelievers do who have no hope. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Unbelievers think death is, is the end, an extinguishment. We don't. So death has no sting of death to us. No, no, we don't sorrow as they do. Grave has no victory. Even today we have a foretaste of the time when we'll have no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain, because sorrow is blunted by the Holy Spirit in our hearts, testifying to us that in this life we may see through a glass darkly, but then all shall be revealed. 
we can say with Peter in Acts 2.26, my flesh shall rest in hope. Let's pray. Indeed, Father, we do... We do rest in hope, Father. Let us not grieve as those who have no hope. We look forward to that blessed day in the new earth when every tear, the Lord will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. Father, that thou, thou will be with us forever. What a glorious, glorious promise. Make it so and seal it in our hearts, Father. Give us true faith, Lord. Increase our faith. Let us that be our daily prayer, Father, that our faith would be increased. And Father, we have so many who suffer.